0: 21 um, through uh, verse 5 of chapter 22 and then and then drop down to read verses 12 to 15. So Revelation 21 and then 22, 1 to 5 and, and 12 to, to 15. I think that might be more useful for us for how we're going to reflect on, on this closing line of the creed than um, reading straight through 22. So let's stand for the reading of Holy Scripture. Revelation 21, uh, beginning at verse 1, this is God's word. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb, And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. On the east, three gates, on the north, three gates, on the south, three gates, and on the west, three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the one who spoke with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city and its gates and walls. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Its length and width and height are equal. He also measured its wall, 144 cubits by human measurement, which is also an angel measurement. The wall was built of jasper, while the city was pure gold, clear as glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with every kind of jewel. The first was jasper, the second sapphire, the third agate, the fourth emerald, the fifth onyx, the sixth carnelian, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysophars, the eleventh jacinth, the twelfth amethyst. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, each of the gates made of a single pearl. And the streets of the city were pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Forever and ever. To verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they might have right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy may be preached for you. You may be seated. And as we come to consider this portion of God's word, let us pray for his help. Almighty God, what an astounding vision you reveal to us in your word of what life everlasting will be like. What could be said to make it more moving than what you have said in Holy Scripture? But we ask that we we do learn this evening to treasure up all the more what you tell us it will be like as we dwell with you forever. And so help us to love all the more what it means that we are your dwelling place now and your dwelling place will be with us for eternity. Overcome the deficiencies of the preacher. They are significant. And bless the reading and the preaching of your holy word to bring forth fruit in our hearts, to love you more, to serve you better. And we ask it all in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. When I was in college, uh, I worked in a, in a warehouse uh, that and my job was to, to refurbish science kits. Uh, for elementary and, and middle schools. And so, you know, they would send these big boxes of um, stuff in that they'd use to run science experiments. And I had to replace the supplies for various experiments, like replace all the, all the used up tape, all the, the staples, um, flour, big bags of flour, which is important. For where we're going, because one summer we got really far ahead of refurbishing everything that had come back in, Uh, but there was this pallet of five pound bags of flour that got infested with weevils. Uh, And because we were so far ahead, our manager decided that rather than waste the money we spent on this flour, We should sift all of it to get the bugs out and to be able to use all of this flour for these experiments. So if you've ever sat at a work table for eight hours a day for several weeks in a row sifting flour, you know that sometimes time drags on very slowly (laughs) i 'm fairly sure that the dictionary entry for for tedious has a has a picture of me sitting there sifting bugs out of flour all day i can't i can 't really think of a time in my life where you, where you could feel like every tick of the clock was so hard won as as that season of, of work. Now the thing is it 's easy to associate the the sensation uh, that time is dragging by with the experience of forever. It's hard to imagine forever without some notion that time will, will get old at some point. We tend to link our imagined perception of unending time with the expectation of monotony. Forever can't be exciting since we'll get tired of it at some point. And yet the Christian hope is life everlasting. The prospect of unending time stands before us as the location where we will ultimately Reside the notion of forever is built into the Christian faith as what stands before us on the other side of christ 's return, <clears throat> as we have thought about for i believe eighteen weeks. the apostles Creed is the most basic statement of the Christian faith it summarizes the message of the whole Bible, old and. New Testaments, we see in the Creed that the whole Bible is about the triune God, and we confess our belief in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We also confess our belief in the works most closely associated with each person of the Trinity. And the Creed then, when we consider it all together as we we come to the end, tells us The Bible is about God and how God saves his people. Salvation is about reconciling us to the triune God. And that tells us something really important. When when we think about the full message of the creed, we might ask, we might ask, does it suggest that the whole Bible is mainly about God or mainly about salvation? And I think the answer is that we don't have to pick between them. We don't choose between those themes as the biggest picture summary of Scripture because they are, in our experience, intimately related. Inextricable in some ways. The true God is, is the God who saves. And salvation is a renewed relate unto a new, a renewed relationship with God. Salvation isn't salvation if it's not focused on knowing God in everlasting life. Hence, Jesus said in John 14 3 This is eternal life. That they, sorry uh, yeah john fourteen three this is seventeen three this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent, and that brings us to the last line of the creed that we believe in life everlasting. We see how this affirmation really is the culminating line that ties Everything together because the creed is about the triune God and about God's works that bring sinners to know the triune God in salvation. Life everlasting which we have through salvation is to know God and to know God through Jesus Christ who came to work our salvation in his life, death, and resurrection, and apply it to us in the work of the Spirit. And so as we think about life everlasting, my goal tonight is to to set a context for how we think about it. You know, we we know very little from Scripture about particular aspects of what everlasting life is, Will look like after we die and go to be with the Lord in heaven, and we know very little e- even about what life will look like on the other side of the resurrection, when Christ returns on the last day to raise his people from the grave unto everlasting bodily life. We know very little from Scripture about both. And so although, although we can't get at too many details, about what life will be like, at least not without speculating, we can look at how Scripture presents those coming realities. And as we consider what the Scripture says, we see that it focuses more on big-picture, wide-angle descriptions rather than trying to answer the questions that we tend to have about the details of our personal, individual experience of life everlasting. In other words, what scripture does teach us focuses on God with his people, holistically speaking, rather than on what we might experience and do on our own. And so the main point, is that everlasting life is about residing with God forever. Everlasting life is about residing with God forever. And our three points are expansion, entry, and endings. And so first, let's think about expansion. Expansion. Uh, when we turn to the portions of Revelation that we read, uh, we, we see some broad contours for how the Bible wants us to understand new creation life. When we thought last time that we were looking at the Creed about the resurrection of the body, we, see, we saw how God had created us, namely, um, in that instance, we thought about how God had created Adam with the potential to grow from our good and wonderful uh, original state to a glorified, incorruptible state like we will have in the new creation. And we also saw the sort of stamp, the the symbol of that offer uh, to Adam was the tree of life. And we want to pull at that that particular thing a little bit more so, well I want to whatever you guys want to do that's what I want to do and, and I'm the one who gets to talk so. interestingly interestingly the, the tree of life appears in scripture mainly in there, there's a couple of kind of random uh, mentions in Proverbs but, but the places where it features are the beginning and the end. Right? It shows up in Genesis, and then then it shows up here in Revelation, and the, that the Tree of Life features in Scripture's opening narratives and returns in its account of history's end is significant. Revelation twenty one describes the the arrival of the new Jerusalem, when Christ returns, when, and, and we're going to circle back to, to think about that shortly. But then, then and that, that whole notion of the new Jerusalem and what it means to come into that city, but then, the first bit of chapter 22, so verses 1 and 2, expands what that new creation looks like. And so, John wrote, then, The angel showed me the river of the water of life. Bright as crystal. Flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Notice that that God and the Lamb have the same throne. Um, And there's a reason for that. Because Jesus Christ is God. (laughs) And so he can share the throne of God. Flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city. Also... On, other, on either side of the river, so on either side of the river of the water of life, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, I, I think the tree of life in this case helps us get a concept for for how to think about everlasting life. In Genesis, the tree was in the midst of the garden. But in Revelation, it's grown to, to span across the river. So on the one hand, Adam was supposed to fill the earth with a, a new creation kingdom as part of his task that God created him in covenant to execute. But Adam left the garden as a small patch of paradise, blocked off to everyone else by angels so that the rest of us cannot reach it, at least not in this age. On the other hand, Christ installs a truly global new creation kingdom. And in Revelation, the tree of life grew to encompass far more space. It's not just one tree in the middle of the garden. It's the tree that's big enough to span the whole river of the water of life. Teaching us about this very development from beginning to end. Revelation describes this global blessing about the expanded new creation, what Christ, how Christ has done what Adam failed to do. And Christ will grant. And it does so by referring to the tree of life's return. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. That's good news these days. This isn't in my notes. I'm just thinking about well life everlasting is a good prospect as we look at the news every day and see the turmoil around us. That the church and the church as it is consummated in the new creation is for the healing of the nations. At history's end The blessing of everlasting rest which the tree of life signifies extends to all people of every tribe, tongue, and nation because of Christ's work as Savior and how his grace is for everyone regardless of our background. And he will in fact bring together people of every background, however hostile we may have been to one another in this season. The expansion of the tree of life illustrates the expansion of Christ's kingdom to anyone from any nation who believes in the gospel. And that brings us to our second point, entry, entry, so uh, Revelation twenty two fourteen. If we jump down there, uh, it crystallizes what it means to eat of the tree of life at the last day. So blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to eat, or yeah, sorry, they may have the right to the tree of life. And they may enter the city by the gates. So in in our present circumstances. As sinners. This side of Adam's fall. We need the forgiveness of sins. We need justification. That includes the forgiveness of sins. Which Jesus grants to us. And the washed robes depict this aspect of our salvation by using the Old Testament metaphor that the cleansing of polluted garments represents the forgiveness of sins. We need robes that are washed. In our justification, Christ gives us the clean robe of his righteousness, bestowing... For those who have clean robes, the right to eat from the tree of life. And so, eating from that tree includes, as Revelation makes plain, the right to enter God's everlasting kingdom. So, entering by the gates is imagery for access into life everlasting. You've got permission. To get through this barrier, Isaiah 62, 10 to 12, depict the Savior going through the gates so that God's people may enter into the city of their salvation. In Revelation, obtaining the right to eat of the tree of life because of Christ's work allows us to enter the city by the gates and having the right to eat from. The tree of life, then, is the right to enter God's everlasting city. And so we see why Paul would write in Philippians three, twenty to twenty-one. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it, from that heavenly city, where our citizenship is, we await a Savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And that takes us back to what we thought about the resurrection last time, but we'll not review that. The thing is, Being a, to state the obvious in some ways, but I think it's a helpful connection just to make clear. Being a citizen means we have the right to live somewhere. You belong there. And nobody should be able to stop you from getting there. And we are given this heavenly citizenship because Jesus Christ forgives us. Because he washes us. Because he justifies us. And we may enter the gates of the new Jerusalem at Christ's return because he has made us clean, given us clean robes, and granted us the status of heavenly citizen as he makes us righteous before God's throne. That's citizenship. Our justification and our guaranteed Entry also ensures that we will receive a transformed, glorified body. Romans 5, 9 and 10. Paul's, Paul's picture of, of citizenship and entry into the kingdom clearly helps us see that those who are clean before God, washed and forgiven in Christ's blood, receive the right to eat of the tree of life and enter that new Jerusalem. In in Revelation 22, 19, having a share in the tree of life, well, it symbolizes very plainly participation in everlasting life in the new Jerusalem. Entry into the kingdom is received in Christ, tangibly symbolized in restoring us to the tree of life. And that brings us to our final point endings. Endings. Um, in recent years, people have tried to, to milk a lot. Uh, from Revelation's depiction of our ultimate destination in the new creation as a city. We've been told that it means that God wants us now to prioritize getting churches uh, in the cities because they're more important strategically, culturally, uh, and what have you. Um, You can tell what I think of that just by the way I said it. (laughs) Uh, I think that outlook assumes some things that miss the point that the gospel isn't just about achieving certain things for society and life here, but about reconciling people to God. It just so happens that the guy who farms food to send to the city needs the gospel just as much as the guy eating the food in the city. That being the case. What, what should we learn? If I think that's not what we should learn, what should we learn? From Revelation's depiction of the new heavens and new earth as a city. The new Jerusalem. Two things. Two things. First, cities were the place of safety. Safety. In many ways, the ancient mindset towards cities was the opposite of of our modern connotations and reactions. I I, I think we tend to associate cities with crime and dilapidation. That's where where dangerous things happen. Uh, I'm going to, never mind. I had a Detroit joke there, but... um, (laughs) The reverse was nearly the case in the ancient world. The, the wilderness was where dangerous animals lived and might attack you, right? In the wilderness. Criminals usually attacked you on, on the roads in between cities rather than in the cities. Now, we've already seen why, uh, in what we've said so far, we've already seen why the new creation is safe in contrast to how the scripture depicts this age as our wilderness that we we traverse the wilderness unto the place of danger until Christ returns because to be in that city means that our sins are entirely forgiven When we enter that city, we know that sin, its penalty, its power, its effects, all things that take their toll on this life, every tear, as Revelation says, none of that can ever harm us again. And God will make all things right. We will be safe in the city of Jesus Christ. Second, second thing I think we should learn. Cities are the places where people live together. Similar, I mean, that's, that's true in the ancient world. That's true now. In the ancient world, people were outside the city. People were spread out further apart outside the city. In, in the ancient world, likely much further spread apart. The city is where you met others. It's the place where you can gather with other people. Revelation 21, 2 and 3 tells us why the image of the city helps us in this respect. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people and God Himself will be with them as their God. If the city is where people live together, this everlasting city is where God will live with His people directly. And so we have two endings to encourage us as we close. The end of history is when we will bask in God's direct presence and we will see him with us. The creed gives us a snapshot of how God is the God of salvation and salvation saves us back into God's presence forever. And here's where we have to get around the connotation of forever with monotony and tedious. Yes, if if forever were the sort of unending worship service uh, with the same droning song always, then that would likely become tedious. But forever, you know, it was interesting. Over the weekend, um, we had several days with our speakers, and it was great. I mean, I, I was so blessed to get to, as will be obvious, to get to spend several days with my friend and mentor Scott Clark, and it didn't feel like days. It was gone like that, and you know he'll be the first to say, I mean, as he's just a guy. But time with our loved ones, our closest friends, flies by as if we never even had it or never had enough. So how wonderful is it that we got to sing when we've been there 10,000 years? We've no less days to sing God's praise. And when we'd first begun, God's presence, God himself, learning ever more about him, getting to know him ever better, is far from tedious. He's the infinite, incomprehensible God. He will never exhaust our minds. He will never exhaust our affections. And so now we see why we need the other ending. Why the creed stops with amen. Let it be so. Because don't don't we want that to be so? As long as the weight of the world hangs heavy upon you, We cry out to God to make every line of the creed be so. Especially as we come to its culmination. God, make it be that we know Father, Son, and Spirit on the basis of Christ's work delivered to us in the church as that guides us to the city where we will know everlasting life with God forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, the city of this age has its tumults. In fact, that's that's why you call it the wilderness. It needs to be tamed. And we ask that the things we've considered tonight give us all the more reason to cry out, Maranatha, come Lord, quickly, that all of our failures, all of our shortcomings, all of the failures and shortcomings of other people that have taken their toll upon us might be undone and every effect of our sin rolled back, that we see you bright shining as the sun. And as long as we are there for everlasting life, we have no fewer days to sing your praise than when we'd first begun. And certainly that is amazing grace. We ask it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. People of God, stand to receive your benediction. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all this day and forevermore. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.